Welcome to Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. The camp of protesters are water protectors at Standing Rock. Looks like a photograph of an Indian camp from the late 1800s. Teepees along the Cannonball River, smoke from a lot of small fires, snow on the ground. But now there are also yurts and big canvas tents and a lot of cars and a lot of flags flapping in the wind. You can stand in camp and look up and see armored vehicles on top of the hills, the bluffs, one mile to the north, the North Dakota National Guard looking down. At night, from the hilltops, there's a long line of floodlights shining down on the camp. This line of lights, the line of armored vehicles, is the line of the Dakota Access Pipeline as it approaches the Missouri River. If and when the protesters leave the camp and start moving towards the pipeline, the armored vehicles come down off the hills and sometimes a battle ensues at a bridge, a highway bridge, halfway between the camp and the pipeline. The bridge is the line drawn in the sand by law enforcement, the line that cannot be crossed or even approached. A couple of weeks ago, the first weekend in December, two to 4,000 veterans showed up at the camp ready for a fight, a battle, where they would stand in a line between the water protectors on one side and the militarized forces of the state of North Dakota on the other, willing to absorb a barrage of rubber bullets, tear gas, concussion grenades, and water cannons, sacrificing their own bodies and maybe their own lives for a higher cause. The veterans came from all over the country. They came from wars going back to Vietnam, including some wars we never even heard of. As I talked to them and listened to them talk to each other, I started to think they were all the same person, all speaking from the same experience and emotion. They'd been to war and had seen and done things that had left them traumatized, and then they were traumatized again in the same way when they saw the videos of militarized police and National Guard shooting at Native Americans. This is Joseph Darnell, part Cherokee, a vet from the first Iraq war, now a social worker and paramedic in Olympia, Washington. The thing that really struck me most was, I remember seeing a picture of, of uh, Wounded Knee. It's an iconic picture of the, all the bodies in the winter up in here from that incident that, that happened. And all I could think of was when all this shit was happening to the natives here was Wounded Knee all over again. And that just like tore at my soul. And I felt like I needed to respond and come here and do something. And being a veteran, I've seen a lot of that during my combat experience. And, and you know, the, the very nature of what we stand for as veterans for this country and for our constitutional rights as citizens here, uh, this is being violated here on this camp and by these, for these, against these people by these government officials over here in North Dakota. Well, so you served in the first Iraq war. Correct. You were over there. I was up in Kurdistan with the Kurdish. And you were an MP. Yes, military police. So you have some background with training for how to control crowds, how right. to respond to riot or protest. What do you think about the way the law enforcement here is responding? I think they're totally out of line, and I don't understand why. I know they've had better training than that. I know that it goes against the principles and the rules for the use of force, because you're supposed to use the least amount of force necessary to control the situation, and these guys have been 
and with the cases, case with the water situation, with the hypothermic conditions, to me that's lethal force. They went right to lethal force without using any lesser forms of force. And that stuff's wrong. It's inappropriate. That, that's just not acceptable. It's what just do you think's going on? Why, why? I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, yell and scream about race or anything. But I, I think I think these people up here in North Dakota don't have a very very high regard for Native Americans here at all, and that's really disgusting in this day and age. There was some talk, some thought maybe about a confrontation and violence. What do you think about that? from the people you've been talking to since you've been here? I personally, I, I don't know. I, don't, I hope it doesn't come to that. I don't want it to come to that. I think we all lose when it comes to that. I think the best course of action here is for us to remain prayerful and peaceful and honorable and respectful. And that's what we stand for in our cause. That's how we get people to pay attention to us. That's how we get people to see. They're the ones being aggressors. Morton County Sheriff, the North Dakota National Guard, those contractors at DAPL, they're the ones that are being the aggressors. Our people are being peaceful. So as long as we remain peaceful, then they're the ones that are wrong. The two sides, of course, disagree on who is being the aggressors. The water protectors maintain that everything they do is nonviolent, peaceful, and prayerful. But the pipeline company in the state of North Dakota say the protesters have thrown rocks and other objects at law enforcement officers, that they've damaged heavy equipment, trespassed on private land, and blocked public highways. In their minds, the use of military force has been necessary and justifiable under the law. This is Thomas Eagle Eye Red Cloud, half Apache, half Scottish, veteran of the Air Force, Special Forces. This is not just our country. This is our land. We, we have a tie. We have a bond with this land. And for, uh, for us, you know, for us natives, that means a lot for us, you know, to sacrifice what are you prepared to do today? Anything. Anything. I came, I came here, I left my wife and my three kids home in Minnesota with uh, the realization that something may happen to me. I may lose my life being a protector uh, to, defend, you know, uh, to defend the water protectors here. And so this is a spiritual fight. This is a, a fight from within. We're not fighting with our fist for the first time. I'm okay saying that. It's kind of hard because I'm so used to it. But this is, this is our way of resisting against the tyranny, of invasion. I, I want to tell everyone out there, I will be here. I'll be waiting. And I hope that it's in peace. I pray that it is, but if it isn't, I'm prepared to lose my life, if necessary. The demonstration was scheduled for Monday, December 5th. But by Sunday, there were already a few thousand veterans in the camp. And by noon, some of them, not many, had wandered on their own initiative over to the bridge, maybe just to check it out. But this brought some armored vehicles down off the hill, and there was a standoff. I got there as people were heading back up the highway, away from the bridge. I'm Jim, and by the bridge. Well, right now we're trying to push everybody back. Earlier today, because people were pushing up toward the barricade that the military pulled in with MRAPs and armored vehicles. And we had a prayer. The man talked. They said they would pull off the line if we pushed everybody back. Because so now we're walking back. Bridge? Yes, now we're walking back. They're gone. Now we're honoring our part. This is a prayerful, peaceful, 
protection of rights and treaties. Prayerful. That's what we're trying to do. So we can so so we can show everybody that this is a prayerful. The vets are here to ensure it's prayerful and and peaceful. There were a lot of people on the highway walking back to the camp, and I recognized one of them as the woman who owned the land where the camp started, LaDonna Brave Bull Allard. I'd seen her on Facebook videos talking about how what's happening is part of a prophecy. For, um, for us, we have uh, three different prophecies that are happening across Indian Nation. That is the tip of Canada to the tip of Argentina. And the first one is the eagle and condor. When the eagle and condor comes together, we will rise as a people again to save the world. And then when the black snake comes to devour the earth, we must stop it. And when the seventh generation rises up, we will stand again as a people. So all of us grew up with the prophecies, the stories, and they are told over and over and over again. When we looked around, we've seen that they are happening in front of us now. Like what's a specific example of, of the prophecy be coming true now or happening now? So when this movement started, it started with the young people. They are the ones that gave their voice. They are the ones that used their media. They are the ones that taught us Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. They are the ones that told the world we were here. It is the youth who are our leaders. So when the youth stand up, they will heal the nation. When the day of the dogs, when they brought the dogs and sig the dogs on us, they, um, I watched as they had the Aztecs smudge all the people that were coming out in prayer. And I knew then the eagle and condor were together. So you see it on the ground. You see it now. It's happening. So what do you, what's going to happen today? Do you know? Tomorrow? We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to stand. And that's what we do. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate right. it. That day, Sunday, was sunny and relatively warm. Kids were sledding down the hill where people go to get better cell phone reception. Yes, there were kids in camp, whole families. Somewhere around 2 p.m., I was sitting in my car eating a sandwich, listening to the camp radio station, 87.9. An older guy with dreadlocks had a low-power radio transmitter in his van and was live broadcasting the speeches around the sacred fire. Suddenly, Standing Rock Tribal Chairman Dave Archambault II was on the mic saying the Army Corps of Engineers had denied the permit for the pipeline to cross the Missouri River. Apparently, the federal government was not willing to see a huge battle take place. The water protectors, with the help of the veterans, had won a huge victory. So today, I know it's a, it's a good feeling, and we have to remain in prayer. We still have to remain peaceful. That's what helped us win, and we were told this. We were told this by our youth who started this movement to remain nonviolent. We were told by the spirits to remain nonviolent. And I'm just so thankful for all of you. And I'm proud of each and every one of you. If you think about it and if you if you realize what has happened is that we have over ten thousand people 
coming together and creating a community that self-polices, that self-organizes. And we, you all did that. I didn't do that. The tribe didn't do that. You did that. And by doing that, your presence has brought the attention of this world. And this world is now looking on us. This is Marcus E. Mitchell, a young Navajo. You know, I came to Standing Rock, North Dakota, you know, for the ultimate sacrifice of I was willing to, you know. This is their land, the Sioux's land, you know, and I couldn't let this pipeline be built because it wasn't, it wasn't right, you know. I just knew this aching in my heart while I was going to school, and, you know, I just wanted to change. I couldn't just sit here and do nothing. I had to act on it. I had to be there, and I had to change the world, for not for myself, but for my children, for my grandchildren, so they don't have to go to war. I was ready to go to war. You thought this was a war? It felt wrong, you know, my fellow Native Americans, you know, that's what, how it first started out. You know, them getting shot with rubber bullets, canisters, tear gas, concussion grenades, you know, and the water cannons, and that's pretty fucked up, and we gotta tell the United States that human rights do matter. We are here, we are still here, and we will continue to be here for another 100,000 years. celebration went on through the evening and late into the night. The next morning, Monday, the day of the scheduled demonstration, it was snowing. And by noon, the wind was blowing 20 to 40 miles an hour, and cars were sliding down off the sledding hill and crashing into other cars parked at the bottom. And by 2 p.m., when the demonstration was scheduled to begin, the wind was gusting strong enough to knock people off their feet. A couple of hundred people, veterans and water protectors, gathered on the highway, but they did not approach the bridge. They held a short, peaceful, prayerful ceremony. The only violence came from the weather, which had turned downright brutal. The wind kept up through the night and into the next morning, Tuesday. I woke up in my car, turned on the engine to warm up, and it was seven degrees above zero outside, a raging blizzard. I got out and walked around and stumbled into a three-foot-high snowdrift. A mass exodus was on, people desperate to get out of camp because it was so bitter fucking cold. I drove out of camp and ended up in a motel in Pierce, South Dakota, 200 miles to the south. Then I drove back the next day as the storm blew over to see who was still in camp. The sun was out, but it was three degrees above zero and the wind was still blowing 20 miles an hour. The people who stayed were huddled in teepees or yurts around wood stoves for heat. I visited a yurt where nine people had slept the night before, and it was rather cozy and quiet. You couldn't hear the wind raging outside. And I met a guy with a school bus that had a gas heater and a wood stove and solar panels up on top, and it was also warm and cozy and quiet. The people who are staying are mainly young people, 30 and under, 
native and non-native, but the core, the leadership is native. Local Hunkpapa and Lakota and Ogallala Sioux and other tribes from all around the country. I think they're forming a new tribe, young people who are deeply spiritual and fearless because they feel like they have nothing to lose and their time has come. For the past two weeks, it's been around 20 degrees below zero in camp, 50 degrees below zero with the wind chill. I don't know how many water protectors are still in camp, but a lot, in the hundreds, and they'll be there when Trump takes office on January 20th. Donald Trump owns about a million dollars of stock in the company that's building the pipeline, Energy Transfer Partners. And his choice for Secretary of Energy, Rick Perry, sits on the board of directors of Energy Transfer Partners. Donald Trump hasn't said what he's going to do about the water protectors, but he has said the problem will be solved quickly, very quickly. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I expect the veterans will be going back to Standing Rock, and this time it's not going to be all peaceful and prayerful. Could very well be the day when America finally and definitely loses its shit. One monkey don't stop the show. One monkey don't stop the show. One monkey don't stop the show. Oh, so get on board. One monkey don't stop the show. One monkey don't stop the show. One monkey don't stop the show So get on board There's a link to this song, One Monkey, by Gillian Welch on our website, homebrave.com. A few episodes ago, I said I'd read the names of everyone who donates $100 or more to this program. So here's more of that list. Thank you, Diane McKernan, Jeremy Miller, R. Evolution, Susan Crozy, Tarwin, Stroh, Spiger, Ronald Swartz, Julie Waterdew, Emily Bright, Scott Parrish, Spencer Jenkin, Lily Taylor, Jade Whiting, Allison Bowers, Aaron Krauskopf, Jeff Lorenzini, Sugi Medlin, Cynthia Parson, Benjamin Mays, Richard Wang, Martin Kazubowski, Benjamin Starrett, David Leslie, Creighton King, and Dave Carrier. There's some photographs from Standing Rock on our website, homebrave.com. Thanks for listening.